Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, The Daniel Dilemma. In this series, you're going to meet a young man named Daniel who did something remarkable. He learned to stand firm in his faith and love others well despite living in a culture of compromise. Together, we'll learn how to walk closely with God without caving to pressure or alienating those we hope to reach. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Well, happy spring, everybody, and happy Palm Sunday. Whether you're watching via church online or one of our live locations, I want to welcome you to Liquid Church. I'm Pastor Kyra, and before I jump in, I actually have a favorite to ask everyone watching. We want your feedback. This week, we actually put out a survey. It's just two questions, and our promise is that you will be done in 60 seconds or less. We're gathering data for plans to reopen Liquid Family and campuses as the world begins opening up. So your voice is important. So can I ask that right now you go to liquidchurch.com survey or just open up your Liquid Church app and find our survey under the Sunday section. All right, we're going to go back to the message. Guys, thanks for joining me for Daniel Dilemma, whether you're here in the room or in your house. Have you guys enjoyed it so far? Come on, people, make some noise. <laughs> For the past four weeks, we have been talking about how to stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. And I've actually loved hearing how God has been speaking to all of you throughout the past few weeks. Well, today I'm closing out the series. Because when Pastor Tim, Pastor Nathan, and I met to divvy up the series, clearly they thought we should leave the best for last. <laughs> But the reason I'm excited, really, is because today I want to share a message taken straight from the book of Daniel chapter 6. And the title of my message is Lessons from the Lion Tamer. Now, I don't know about your background, okay, whether you were raised in church or not. But when I was a little kid growing up in Puerto Rico, I went to church four times a week. I went on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, and Friday nights. And when I went on Sunday mornings, I had an hour-long Sunday Bible school. And I think I was about five years old when I first heard the story of Daniel in el Pozo de los Leones, or Daniel in the lion's den. And I remember the pictures the teacher would show us to tell us the story of Daniel, because Daniel, he looked like a lion heart. In the pictures, he was like a strong, young man who was thrown in the den of lions, and even as a little girl, I just knew everything was going to be okay for Daniel because surely the teacher wasn't going to tell this story to a bunch of five-year-olds if it didn't end well. Well, now that I'm much older and can smell the lion manure, everything in this story has actually changed for me, and I can appreciate how rich it is. Now, the book of Daniel has 12 chapters, and by chapter 6, which is where this story comes from, we are right smack in the end of his story. Now, Daniel is now in his 80s, okay? He's an old man. He's not the new guy on the block in Babylon. And at this point in his life, I want you to think about all that Dan has done. He was deported from Judah to the pagan nation of Babylon, number one. Number two, he was a gluten-free, plant-based, farm-to-table vegan. No animals were hurt in the making of Daniel's diet. 
Now he saw his friends also being thrown into a blazing furnace, and he survived the handwriting on the wall, as we saw last week. And last but not least, Daniel had a series of horrible bosses. Man, have you guys seen The Devil Wears Prada? Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar were like the Miranda Priestleys of the ancient world. Can I just say, I mean, he was on call 24-7, and he was expected to do the impossible, like read your boss's mind to know what they're dreaming. You try and pass that interview. See how that goes. Now, by the time we get to chapter 6, Daniel is about 80 years old, and he's still in the thick of it. So I want to invite you to open your Bible to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to go verse by verse. Here's what God's word says. Darius the Mede decides to divide the kingdom in 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule each province. The king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to make him over the entire empire. Now, I want you to remember that Daniel had just been promoted to prime minister of the empire. If you remember, Belshazzar didn't survive the handwriting on the wall, but Daniel did. And Darius loves Daniel. Okay, Darius is the new king on the block. And he loves Daniel because he sees in Daniel a spirit of excellence that comes from God. But here's the problem. You guys know what happens when you perform with excellence, right? Your co-workers get jealous. And so let's keep reading to watch what happens. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Basically, these men are looking for a gotcha moment. They're going back through Daniel's tweets from like 10 years ago to see if they can find something on him, but they find nada. Now watch what happens. So they concluded, hmm, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed or revoked. They want to outlaw prayer. Guys, they're literally passing a bill, legislation, that prayer to the God of this Bible is illegal. It's outlawed. And I was just reading the other day about this football game where they're not allowing people to pray before the coin toss. Let me tell you something. When a government begins outlawing public, public prayer, the handwriting is on the wall. Now, why do you think these men do this? Because they know that Daniel wasn't going to obey man if it meant disobeying God. So they actually convinced the king that banning prayer to anyone other than the king is a great idea. Now, ladies, you know how they got the king to agree, right? The male ego. Can you say predictable? 
Because, by the way, that's how you make someone empowered do something that you want them to do. You bet on their ego. And it works. Because the next thing that we read is King Darius signed the law. Now, guys, can you imagine? I want you to think about this. Daniel is Darius' best man. Okay, he's the prime minister, the consigliere, and yet Darius caves to public pressure. Isn't that how it is with most kings, with most people in charge? All they care is, what do the public want? And so he's signing this decree, but essentially what he's doing is he's signing Daniel's death warrant. Now, this isn't a Daniel dilemma. This is a Daniel disaster. But now here's the best part. Because you guys think that Daniel is going to back down? How many of you know who Dan the man is and watch what he's going to do? But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and what does the, word, the verse says? Hid in his closet. Is that what it says? No, that's not what it says. Let's read it together. He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room and he prayed really quickly before he got his morning coffee. Is that what it says? Maybe that's what it says in my Bible, not in yours. <laughs> Let's read it again, this time for real. He went into his room, into his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed how many times, church? Three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to his God. Now talk about taking a stand in a culture of compromise. Because Daniel's like, I ain't going to bow down to your decree. I'm going to bow down to my God and everybody will see it. Now I want to ask you, where do you think that you get the strength to stand up under that kind of pressure? Like if your government just outlaws prayer and you're the only one who says, well, I mean, the guy I work for chops head for praying, but I'm still going to go home and I'm going to open my window so everybody sees me praying, not once, not twice, three times a day. Where does it come from? Where's the secret strength that Daniel has? We finally get to find out in this chapter because it's right here. Daniel goes home kneels down in his upstairs room like always with his windows open towards Jerusalem and he prayed very early in the morning. He prayed twice a day? No, he prayed three times. Giving thanks to his God just as he'd always done. Now this is fascinating and I want to ask you a question and this is a judgment-free zone, okay, I promise. How many of you would say that you actually pray one time a day? Come on, show of hands. Churchman free song, one time a day. How many of you would say you pray two times a day? How many of you would say three times a day? Okay. Well, let me tell you something. The reality is, church, that most American Christians have a very superficial devotional life. It is pretty pathetic, and I'm not trying to guilt anybody because I struggle with this too, Okay. The reality is that we approach our devotional time as basically spiritual Philip. Let me get a little bit of Jesus so that I can get everything that I need and get it done. But Daniel's devotional time is actually the opposite, okay? His whole day is structured around a daily office. Now, do you know what that is? 
Office means is opus, which means work. And basically it meant that Jews prayed three times a day, morning, afternoon, and what they called compline prayer, which was evening prayer. Morning, noon, night. Morning, noon, night. Come on, chant it with me. Morning, noon, night. Morning, noon, night. And guess what they did? They squeezed work around that structure because that was the structure of their day. In other words, their number one priority was being in the presence of God. And their doing for Jesus actually flowed out of their being with Jesus. Daniel had a secret life with God that was deeply disciplined and anchored in a regular routine of thrice daily prayer. What does verse 10 say again? He prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to his God. Now, can I be honest with you? Can I have an honest moment with you, church? That's a challenge to me, and I'm a pastor. Right now, I'm taking this course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And one of the disciplines that you have to practice in the course is to pray twice a day. Not even three, twice. Can I tell you how hard that is? I literally wake up every morning and I'm like, today's the day that I'm going to do my twice daily prayers. I always do the one in the morning. And then the other one, which is at noontime, I start with good intentions. And then I'm like, I just have to send one more email before I do the prayer. In fact, oh my gosh, I have a Zoom. Let me hop on Zoom. And after I finish the Zoom, I'm going to do the prayer. Oh my gosh, my son wants a snack. Let me just get him the snack, get him out of the way, get him, you know, entertained. And now I'm going to, you know, do the prayer. And on and on it goes. And by the time I realize that I didn't do my evening prayer, I'm half in bed, half, I'm in bed, half asleep. And I totally forgot about it. Can you relate? Because Daniel can't. Verse 10 says, Daniel actually prayed three times a day, just as he'd always done, giving thanks to his God. And when the officials go looking for him, they found him praying and asking for God's help. Daniel's faith is actually being put to the test again. But instead of backing down, we see instead that Daniel's private devotion is being put on public display. Okay, here's a guy that just learned that anyone who was caught praying to anyone who isn't King Darius would be thrown into the lion's den. In other words, prayer has been banned. And the way that I see it, Daniel has two options. He can either compromise, give up his prayer life with God, or he can have courage. Now, if he compromised, it would mean that he would actually stop praying publicly to God for a month where he would just keep Jesus privately alive in his heart, but not publicly in his life. Now, compromise can be a good thing. For example, in marriage, right? When my husband and I go shopping, we compromise. He stays home, and I get to go spend. And he's probably the only one not laughing at this joke, by the way. But in our spiritual lives, compromise is actually a really negative thing. Okay, compromise says, I know I shouldn't, but why not? It's actually the slippery slope of sin. I know I shouldn't respond to this DM, but why not? It's pretty harmless. And before you know it, you're actually in the throes of an emotional or physical affair. 
I love this quote by Dr. Tony Evans. He says, compromise is the cancer of the church and we must rid Christ's body of it. While Christians can compromise on preferences, they cannot compromise on principles. In other words, we can be one way on Sunday and another one on Monday. This is a major problem among Christians in America today. We don't take a stand. We don't keep our standards. We merely shift to satisfy society. Woof. Daniel isn't willing to compromise. In fact, when we see, what we see in his response is actually that courage to stand up for Jesus by kneeling before him. And he did this even though he knew that when you take a public stand, there may be a painful punishment. And that's the first lesson from the lion tamer today. The power to stand for God comes from kneeling before him. The Bible says that Daniel prayed three times a day just as he'd always done. Meaning he's been praying three times a day for a long time now. Okay, let's assume that he started practicing the presence of God in his 20s. In this chapter, he's about 80 years old, which means that for 60 years, he's been praying three times a day. And if my math is correct, that's about 65,700 prayers. Ay, mamá, como dicen en Puerto Rico. Now that's a prayer life. Typically, it takes about 10,000 hours to master something. So guess what? Daniel's a grand master of prayer. I mean, he could teach a class, a master class in practicing the presence of God. Now, why do you think that he does this? It's not just because he's disciplined, although that is part of it. It's because he lives in the dog-eat-dog world of Babylon. Okay, he worked for a boss that threw people into a furnace and a boss that throws people into the lion's den. Anybody here work in a hostile work environment and you're just going to walk into the office for your 360 review without being prayed up? Guys, there are so many things in our world that we literally just walk into completely unprepared for, completely unprayed for, all casual. And when things don't go well, we're like, why is everything falling apart? Maybe I'll pray about it tomorrow during my quiet time. I want you to contrast that with Daniel, who is in this hour to hour to hour daily contact with God because he's in the shark tank. And that's why Daniel was able to remain calm in the face of this new crisis. His habit of kneeling, in other words, his habit of spending time with Jesus, was the one thing that gave him the confidence to stand against whatever life threw at him. Now, I know that some of you are school teachers. Any teachers here in this room where I'm at? Some of you. Talk about a hostile work environment, am I right? I mean, you're teaching kids in the classroom physically every day. You're teaching kids on Zoom. You have the pressure of the administrators. You have the pressure of the parents. You don't know what you're going to get the moment that you walk into that classroom. Guys. You need to be dialed into Jesus to be able to have the kind of confidence to stand in that environment because you don't know what you're going to get. You need the Holy Spirit every day. Others of you are business owners. 
I know some of you are trying to get a loan because you're trying to keep your business running. You're trying to put food on the table for your people. And you're meeting with the bank people this week. And you know that you're going to be ripped apart by their tough questions. Can I tell you, you need to be totally filled with the Holy Spirit. Because your flesh and your cleverness and your quickness of wit, it's actually not going to help you cut it. You need to get a divine download of the wisdom that only comes from time with the Holy Spirit. Because you need a soft heart to know how is it that you're going to respond. When that moment comes, you need a supernatural strength. You need the presence of God. So don't you dare walk away in there unprayed of. That's the kind of life that Daniel led. And why did he pray three times a day? Because he leaks. Church, you and I, we leak. So we need to carry Jesus with us throughout the whole day. And that's why before an open window, Daniel kneels before God for everyone to see. Because he's recognizing that he needs supernatural help that only comes from the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit is with him, he can be unshaken in his resolve to keep kneeling before God so that he can stand for God. And that is lesson numero dos. Or sorry, numero one. The power to stand for God comes from kneeling before him. I want to invite you to keep reading. We're on verse 12 by this point. And it says this. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that any person who prays to anyone, whether it's divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Hmm, interesting. Well, let me spill the tea, king. That man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. Because he still prays to his God three times a day. Nana, nana. <laughs> now, hearing this, the Bible says that the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day actually looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. Now, I feel bad for King Darius. Can I just be honest with you? Uh, quick question, how many of you are parents? Because if you're parents, I know that you have actually experienced one of your children coming to you because they want to tell you something, because they need you to react, but you didn't they didn't tell you everything that you needed to know. They come in yelling something about their siblings, and you go in ready to pounce, only to discover things are not always what they seem. In my house, the first kid that actually does that is usually the criminal, not the victim. <laughs> So a little parenting lesson, parents, don't be so quick to react based on the first thing that you hear. Because if you do, you're going to fall into the trap like King Darius did. Because what he did is he responded by giving in to his flesh. Can anybody here relate? And because Darius wanted to be God, even if for just a month he signed Daniel's death warrant. And now he can't change what he's done, but he regrets what he decreed. And so he's in turmoil because it's too late. So unfortunately, he's got no other choice than to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And this is what verse 16 says. So at last, the king gave orders to have Daniel be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, Daniel, may your God, whom you faithfully re serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den 
The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Can you picture that, church? They sealed the den just like they sealed Jesus' tomb. They rolled the stone in front and said, you're going to get torn to pieces. So this den, it's actually becoming your grave. Again, this isn't a Daniel dilemma. This is a Daniel disaster. And the king returns to his palace. And the Bible says he spent the night fasting. He couldn't eat. He refused his usual entertainment. And he couldn't sleep out all that night. He's actually terrified. And so the Bible doesn't tell us anything about Daniel's night in the lion's den. But we know how king, the night for King Darius went, and it was no bueno. It wasn't good. Because Darius can't sleep. He can't eat. There's nothing that can get his mind off of Daniel. He is legitimately afraid. And you think he was about to be the one facing the lion's den. Have you guys ever felt that scared? Like your heart is racing, your palms are sweaty, you can't sleep at night. I remember a few years back, someone broke into my mother-in-law's house while my husband and I were staying there overnight. And after the police left, I couldn't sleep. Like every little noise had me scared and waking up. That's how Darius feels. Now, we don't know anything about Daniel, uh, Daniel's night, but I want to show you a picture. Because I think you can all imagine Daniel in the lion's den. And when I was little, I was taught, like I told you, that Daniel was this brave, muscular young man facing down the lions. But let's be honest, church, he's 80 years old. And some of you are thinking right out, well, no wonder he didn't get eaten alive. He was beef jerky by that point. <laughs> now, you may be thinking, Daniel was this skin and bones old man. He's like hobbling into the den with his walker. He's like whimpering. He's surrounded by snarling, growling cats. Can I show you this artistic rendering of Daniel in the lion's den? I don't want you to worry about the lions. I want you to look at, at Daniel. Does he look nervous to you? Does he look like he's about to cave in? Daniel has his back to the cats. He's dissing the kitties. He's like, I'm not even worried about you, bro. Why? Because he's in the presence of Jesus. Look at the way the artist has him looking out a window, doing what he did three times a day. He's facing Jerusalem, and he's in the safety and the presence of Jesus. And he's saying, I know no weapon formed against me can prosper. I know that every day ordained for me is written in your books. I know my life is in your hands. So you can throw me into a fiery furnace. You can throw me into a den of cats, but I ain't going to bend and I ain't going to bow because my life belongs to Jesus and I am safe in the hands of my God. Church, that is a picture of standing firm with calm conviction of being cool under pressure, even when your critics are circling and snarling and baring their teeth. <sighs> we don't have to read about Daniel's night to actually know what he was doing in the den, praying to the same God he had spent his life serving. That's the second lesson from the lion tamer. Counter your critics with calm composure.
So understand that when you have that job performance this week, when you have that meeting with your investors, when you step into that classroom with the administrators at your back and all of your critics are there and they're snarling and baring their teeth, they're sending you the nasty emails because they can't wait to tear you a new one. I want you to sit there and I want you to be cool, completely calm, and totally collected because the Holy Spirit is with you. So you don't need to go in there with sweaty palms or freaking out on the inside because you know that when you spend time with Jesus, you can trust that your life is in his hands. And as you're sitting in that chair facing the opposition, you're actually sitting there and you're declaring, Jesus, my life is in your hands. And my trust is anchored in the God who holds the world in his hands. And I know that I don't have to be afraid. I know you're going to provide. And I know that I don't have to sweat all these details. Church, if we're going to live for the Lord in the United States of Babylon, you have to understand your critics are not going to be able to share you apart, even though they're going to try. You're going to get ripped. You're going to get criticized. You're going to get torn to pieces. And the world is going to tell you your job is to hit back harder and fight fire with fire. But do you know what Christ says to you today? Counter your critics with calm composure. And when they start yapping about you, you go tell daddy on them. Because you can trust that he's going to be the one fighting for you. And I love this picture of Daniel because he says, he's not saying, oh my gosh, look how unfair this is all is. I'm going to post and vent on Facebook. Daniel is in his prayer closet. And in the midst of his snarling enemies, literally both animals and people, Daniel remained calm. And the Bible actually says in verse 19 that very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out the lion's den because he's freaking out. Guys, Daniel is his best right-hand man, and he's probably been devoured, or so the king thinks. And so when he gets there, he's all in anguish. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Now you just imagine King Darius standing there, waiting listening, silence, until suddenly Daniel answers, long live the king. My God sent his angels to shut down the mouths of the lions so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Translation, King Darius there was another lion in the den, and his name is the Lion of Judah. Just like there was a fourth man in the fire, I wonder if Daniel sensed another in the den. Only this lion was powerful and majestic and came down to shut down the mouths of every raging beast that's under his power and dominion. Daniel never doubted that the God whom he served would be with him till the end. So I want you to understand, the lion tamer isn't Daniel, it's Jesus. The Bible actually says the king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him for, this is so powerful. Let's all read it in one big loud voice, okay? He had trusted in his God. Can we say it one more time, church? 
he had trusted in his God. Now I challenge you to make it personal. Here we go. Trusted in your God. Trusted in my God. Because when we put our trust in Jesus, we have nothing to fear. And isn't that awesome, church? And can I get an amen? That's why we love this story. Because Daniel experienced a supernatural deliverance in the lion's den. Now, there are multiple stories over the centuries of God saving people as they served him. But I also want you to understand, there are plenty of Christians who also didn't experience the deliverance that Daniel did. And therefore, they became subsequent martyrs of the faith. Because sometimes our prayers don't get answered. In fact, I have another painting to show you which is the reality for most early Christians. They were subject to persecution in Rome by a variety of emperors who sometimes threw them to the lions just for sport and public punishment. They prayed to the same God that Daniel prayed, and yet they were not delivered. They stood firm, and yet they still perished. And you may be sitting here today or here at home, and you may be thinking, but why? Why did that happen? Did they not have enough faith? That's not it at all, church. We are all equally loved. We're equally favored and we are equally loved in God's eyes. But God is sovereign, which means that he has complete control over what happens in our lives. That's what it means to be a believer. And Jesus himself said it at the cross, not my will, but yours be done. And in Hebrews 11, we actually see a picture of what this means. People who experienced both deliverance and destruction. Verse 33 says, by faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, talking about Daniel, they quenched the flames of fire, talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their weakness was turned to strength. In other words, there are men and women throughout history who experienced miracles just like Daniel did. God broke into the natural world in a supernatural way and delivered them from danger or death. And you know what? We as a church love to say amen to this verse and hallelujah because it's awesome. But watch what the next verse says. But others were, what's the word, church? Tortured. Yeah, that's not fun. They refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Somewhere, what's the word, church? Jeered at. And their backs were cut open with whips. That's painful. Others were chained in prisons. Church, show of hands, who wants to memorize this verse with me? Can I just keep reading? Some died by stoning. Some were sewed in half. And others were killed with the sword. And do you know what the Bible says about each and every one of them? That they were too good for this world. 
Guys, the Bible is full of the miraculous, which means that sometimes deliverance happens now on earth and sometimes it happens later in heaven. That's part of the reality of being a Christ follower. Not everybody who gets thrown into the lion's den gets their prayer answered. And the Bible says some die by stoning. Others were killed by sword, but all of them were too good for the world. And do you know what that means, church? When it says they were too good for this world, it means that they were a gift to the world that the world didn't deserve. Or as another translation says, the world was not worthy of them. Not every place or person that you work for or every group that you're a part of is going to be worthy of you. Not everybody's going to honor your integrity. Because when you stand on principle, that can be a very lonely place. And you may see, you may be sitting here thinking, well, no one's cheering for me when I do that. And that's why it's hard. But can I tell you, there is always one who is cheering for you. And his name is Jesus. Because he sees his daughter. He sees his son. He's saying to you today, you may not always experience my rescue. But you will always experience my resurrection. Amen, church? That's the third. Give God a praise. That's the third and final lesson from the lion tamer. God sometimes rescues, but he always resurrects. Because Jesus had his sights on the resurrection. He was willing to endure the cross. And because of his victory in the cross, we can have the hope that even if we aren't supernaturally delivered in this life, like Daniel was, all Christians will be delivered in the life to come. And we're going to be face to face with the Lion of Judah for eternity. So today I actually want you to place your faith, not in the lions of this world, but in the Lion of Judah. And don't forget, church, do not forget that when you walk into that lion's den, whatever situation it is that you're facing, whatever challenge it is that you have to navigate, I want you to remember that the biggest cat in the room has your back. The lion of Judah is with you today. And I want you to stand the way that Daniel stood with my back to the cats while I'm looking forward to the lion of Judah. Guys, sometimes we have to stand up and face whatever life is throwing at us. But I want you to do that with the confidence that God is with you. And so today I want to invite you to kneel right where you are. I want to invite all of us. Can you just kneel right where you are? Get out of your seat and kneel. We're going to do it. It may be a little weird, but let me push you out of your comfort zone. I want to invite you to kneel. To be like Daniel. To practice the presence of God. I want you to think what situation, what den of lions you're actually navigating right now. What meeting this week feels like a den of lions. What phone call, what conversation you have to make that feels like you're going in and you're going to be facing the opposition and they're snarling and they're baring their teeth at you. And as you do that, as you pray over your situation, I'm going to pray over us. Because here's the thing, guys. I may not know what it is, but the Lion of Judah knows. And he's the lion over your den. And so, Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for the example that we have in Daniel, but most of all for the example of your son, Jesus, who knew what it was to carry his, your spirit in every moment, in every interaction, in every conversation throughout the day. I pray that over your children today. I pray that as they're kneeling right now, as they're praying to you, as they're thinking about their den, their respective challenge, their situation, I pray that you would remind them that you are willing to be in there with them, that you have their backs, that you have their confidence, their trust, because you love them. And so, Father, we thank you for a word like this one in a good season like the one that we're in. That we can have the hope and the trust that the Lion of Judah goes with us, goes before us, goes behind us, goes with us every day. And so we thank you for that truth and we love you, Lord. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Church, can I get some praise for the Lion of Judah who goes with us? Thank you for joining us today. We'd love to invite you to spend Easter with Liquid Church this April. We need hope more than ever before. We long for a restoration of dreams. We crave a sense of peace and healing in our lives and in our world. The struggle and despair of 2020 is not the end of our story. In fact, Easter teaches us that light breaks through the darkness. Celebrate Easter with us online and experience the rattle of Jesus's resurrection power. You can expect a multimedia experience with dynamic preaching, real stories of healing and breakthrough, powerful music, and special elements that will leave you feeling inspired. Join our church online experience launching Good Friday, April 2nd at 12 p.m. and available on demand all Easter weekend. Just go to liquidchurch.com Easter to learn more. And if you enjoyed the podcast today, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.